and welcome to Nourishing Books and Bites, where I chat with inspiring people about some of the great projects, events, books and other uplifting things they're involved with to help shape a better tomorrow today. They're all people who are having conversations and taking action with their communities for fun, to create change and sharing hope and joy along the way. I'm Anthea, the host of Nourishing Matters to Chew On, a podcast series that includes Nourishing Books and Bites episodes and is presented by Foodswell. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Hello, my friend, and here's to our first get-together on Nourishing Books and Bites. Gemma, who is joining me today, is a very dear friend and a long-standing co-conspirator in various dreams and schemes that we've hatched up over too many years, and she's, <laughs> and she's also a part of the Foodswell team. But Foodswell is just a tiny part of the many change-making, really joyful projects that Gemma's involved with. Gem, where's home? And can you tell us about who you are and some of the great things you've currently got growing and going on your farm and with your community that's really helping shape a better tomorrow for you and, and your kids? Oh, goodness. Um, home is on a dryland cropping and grazing property about 20 k's east of Narandra. So we're in the beautiful Murrumbidgee catchment on Wiradjuri country with Narendra tribe. And um, we have been here since around 2000. Um, I joined my partner here in 2005, Rhino. And I think um, that it was a bit of a tree change for me in that I grew up a country girl nearby and, you know, took off to the city for learning and career and, you know, backpacking and all those kinds of things and family circumstances circumstances brought me home again and I met my partner, Rainer. So it was one of those classic farmer meets a wife, I guess, farmer needs a wife, I don't know. Ex-farm chick who thought she was a city chick who then didn't realise she was actually a farm chick. (laughs) Yeah, so we so we we're your average grain, um, grain growing farm, I guess, cropping organisation and uh, trade in and out of a bit of livestock. That's what we do. I do a fair bit of community work and some freelance writing. Um, my community work is primarily in natural resource management and increasingly in the space of community energy as well. And you also sort of do some local community place based placemaking sort of things, don't you, like the Grong Grong Earth Park? Would you like to? Yeah, we've had this fantastic sort of village revitalisation placemaking public space um, project going for quite some time now in Grong Grong and that that grew from a source of anger to start with because we um, our school was closed and rightly or wrongly it uh, was closed down on us despite having quite a few little people in our catchment um, and I was I was so cross about that. I had to do something with that energy and um, developed with a few other mums this idea to reclaim some disused land along the railway corridor, corridor which happens to be in the main street in our village. And so planning with these uh, mums and kids, we have developed a community garden 
um, what we call in that a natural like wild playscape that's made of upcycled and recycled materials, very open and um, very grotty because it's got a active water pump and a huge sand pit. So uh, you know, kids can just really get down and grubby in it and quite risky. So that's been that's been a really interesting big ongoing project. And it's gone a long way to revitalizing community and confidence in a way. It's it's not a new shop. It's it's a place. It's a public place open to the public all the time. Uh, and locals and visitors love it, which is great. A community garden and park activity centre. Yeah, we have a little, um, there's a little free library in there and we that say things like, hi, we travel from Brisbane every Easter holidays and they're here. <laughs> and you've had return visitors from interstate who bring their families there to hang out for an hour or two and play. Which is nice, you know, people who do long-haul trips from Brisbane to Melbourne, we're halfway. I was thinking about, you know, why we're chatting today, why we do what we do <laughs> and about the sorts of things that we're both, we both invest a lot of time, love and energy in, whether it's about healthy food, lands, waters, community connections, better futures, all those sorts of things that I suppose everybody's concerned about. And I guess looking back to that crazy month of November in 2019, where we hung out at the Black Stump Motel in the middle of the bushfires um, for, to go to the National NRM conference that was all about resilience and that put out this sort of huge call for action about environmental crisis and the state of environmental emergency that just everyone there, particularly people working in, you know, NRM, were just so traumatised really. I thought I thought that was, in, in many ways for me, that had a, a huge impact on me and I know you and I were both pretty emotionally shell-shocked by what, by what the conversations were and in terms of distress and the bushfires and the drought. It was a pretty crazy time, wasn't it? It was really interesting for me and in that, you know, we beaver along on our little projects and I think we all are overwhelmed and fatigued by the climate crisis and that our, we can feel quite impotent. We can feel so fragile and incredibly tiny in our, you know, day-to-day human existence in terms of the size of the problem. But that really, for me, witnessing en masse, if you like, the stories and experiences of frontline workers in this crisis um, was extraordinary. And that, you know, a lot of these people are just, they're exhausted. They're exhausted with their work. They're exhausted that they are not being heard you know, there were academics and experts and ecologists and, you know, oceanographers who simply feel as though they are speaking a different language. They really are not cutting through and I think they're tired and they they don't have, they know they don't have time to be tired. That's right. And at that event, I just sort of remember feeling so, um, so much empathy or distress for some of the people who were doing these beautiful presentations about habitat restoration and, you know, black cockatoo, rare food source rehabilitation Mm. in areas that literally as they were presenting were under threat from bushfires and they were going to see their years Mm. of Mm. hard work and, more importantly, those species Mm. put under more pressure. So, yeah, it was a real bit of a of a, uh, a pivoting time even before COVID, Mm. I think. Mm. And I guess Nourishing Matters is one of the ways that I'm doing my little bit or you know, <laughs> having conversations for sanity and hopefully for change. And uh, I suppose it's got a bit of a big picture take and tries to look at healthy and sustainable food and land steward- 
stewardship type issues, sort of what they mean in context and how they're landing here in Australia and at home. It's a bit of a moving feast, really. But I was sort of inspired by so many other interesting podcasts that are underway, like um, the wonderful Future Steading podcast that hosts Katie and Jade do. Have you heard that? It's really wonderful. Yes, I have. Yeah, and they call it a, a, a completely concocted concept of homesteading, permaculture and regenerative existence and joy. And I thought, I thought, well, good on you girls. You know, love what you do. And I, this is, in a funny way, I hope complimentary in some ways. Yeah, it's a party we'd all like to be at, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so turning now to the big picture and the sorts of things that are going on in rural communities. Let's talk about your involvement with NRM. You're on the committee of Murrumbidgee Landcare. It's a huge region and you're about to launch what looks like a really warm, powerful program, Catchment Keepers. Yes. Can you tell us about that and, you know, what you're aiming to do or what it hopes to do and perhaps, you know, some of the motivations and some of your emotions that lie behind why you're all doing it? Yes. Um, so Catchment Keepers is a whole of catchment program and the Murrumbidgee catchment is some 84,000 square kilometres. And it's it's not just riparian zone, it's, it, it, it really is whole of catchment to the watersheds that it shares with the Lachlan and the Murray to the north and the south. So you can imagine the extent of that, it's several several hundred kilometres, a few hundred kilometres in width, if you like, north to south. Um, the program, it's, it sort of starts at Lake George. So the Murrumbidgee rises in the ACT and gathers steam until it actually reaches its confluence with the Darling and then the Murray west of Hay. So it's, it's a big river. Catchment Keepers as a program aims aims to develop, we're aiming to talk primarily to women on farm and farm who are our farmers and farm partners in the catchment. And we're looking to build confidence, I guess, and skills in both landscape literacy, you know, what it is you're looking at on your farm, and actually in natural resource decision-making on farm. So it's got three core aims. One is to build a whole of catchment network. We're aiming for some 500 women in that network, um, which will underpin a community of practice and support. And with, you know, with social media, that can be done now. You know, it sort of strips away the geographical barriers of building a community in that way, a virtual community. Through 2021 and perhaps into 2022, we'll be rolling out eight in catchment workshops and we are partnering with artists, academia, uh, First Nations and, um, you know, some people who are specifically expert and some and some communications experts. So these we hope these, these workshops, well, we aim for these workshops to comprise quite a lot of quite a lot of knowledge, but quite a lot of sharing of knowledge and sharing of experiences and stories where women are able to discuss what they are doing on their farms or what they would like to do, no matter where they are in that journey, beginning or planning or dreaming of it. By the very nature of being female and juggling multiple roles on farm, probably as mums or as carers and in career, which you know, we have to acknowledge in regional New South Wales that if you're holding down a career, you're often also commuting long distances to do that. Um, so time is a really big, 
uh, factor, finding the right time for people. And because these these busy lives, the nature of busy lives, women often simply just can't attend field days and workshops and community meetings. So we're sort of trying to um, make these days work for women who otherwise can be bypassed or left out of those conversations. A lot of the conversations around um, mental health and drought and resilience too are probably rightly built around the male half of the farm and these bypass women as well, which is interesting. I had a years ago in the millennium drought, uh, I had a conversation with a uh, rural financial advisor who said to me, oh, you know, we, I can I can deal with the men breaking down, but when, when the uh, when the wife breaks down, we know we're stuffed. <laughs> we know all hope is gone because <laughs> they're usually the last egg to crack. So that was kind of a bit of a backhand compliment to the strength of women, but it was just a really wry observation from someone. Yeah, that's that's so interesting, isn't it? So the network and the... Um you know, the social media and then the physical meet foremostly or outwardly very much about sharing knowledge and skills and expertise and building conf- confidence. But it's also but it's also just going to be another layer of um, connection and resilience for women. That's right. You know, a new friends network, a new support network. Yeah. And like-minded, you know, people live very remotely, especially in a, as you head further west. And you have to go a long way to find your tribe when you live in that space. You've got your phone buddies and your Zoom buddies, but actually to sit and laugh and talk and share stories is really, really critical to building these friendships and these knowledge circles. Yeah, so we're really looking forward to it. No, that's very exciting. And tell me about how you're involving First Nations. I know that you do a lot with your local community and you're near Narandra, which is such an important town and um, home. Can you just touch on how you, how you, yes. you know, because rural yeah. women engaging with First Nations and you know traditional custodians and knowledge is just is very powerful too. Tell me about that. Yes, yes, it is, and we've we've just been having a conversation about that because um, so much involvement of First Nations can seem dutiful or be. hollow symbolism at best really and so what we're aiming to do is to seek women in the catchment who who have skills and knowledge that might be around seed collection it might be around native foods um it might be around planting or it may be particularly around uh place-based art or crafts like weaving or you know, song lines. Um, so the team at the moment is developing that network. So we we really do hope at each workshop that we've got some really meaningful involvement and knowledge from First Nations women. And you know, let's let's face it, the state in in my interactions even here, uh, you know, a lot of our Indigenous women are just battling to keep hearth and home together. You know. Keep kids in school, keep them safe, keep great food on the table. Uh, You know, so we sort of are mindful that, uh, you know, asking people for involvement is another expectation of them. But, we, you know, we've got our fingers crossed and we've got some great contacts through 
both foods well and our relationships with a couple of the unis. Yeah, and a, and a nice opportunity for people to build new friendships and support each other in that regard too. So that's, you know, congratulations to you. That sounds very exciting and I'm keen to uh, contribute along the way. Um, you've also got You've also got some lovely plans to you know, connect generations of women and young young girls and teenagers. Can you talk about how young people, young women will be involved? Uh, yes, well, we, we're hoping to, well, we're sort of talking to a couple of really young researchers and three of our actual land care coordinators are very young women. You know, one is a postgrad and um, who are, have quite specific skills and interests, but Britain, you know, bring with them just so much excitement and energy and, you know, a new way of doing things. We're really looking forward to their ideas and what they bring to the days. You know, at a slightly different level, we're talking to the CWA who have an environmental, statewide environmental group. So we, you know, we really believe that never too late to start talking about natural resource management. And we're finding that a lot of the uh, the women in their 50s and 60s who might have might have a little bit of relief from the time pressures of work and kids are some of our greatest advocates for taking care of the land. We're, fi- we're finding in our land care network that these kind of green grannies have gone, right, you know, now I've got time to do what I wanted to do all along. And, you know, they're confident. They're quite gutsy and brassy and speak out. Fabulous business skills, retired teachers, you know, know, people who really have been out in the world who are now turning the full glare of their attention onto natural resources and ecosystems which is wonderful <laughs> and 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 they've got great skills they've lived lived they've lived they've lived life they're elders they're good at facilitating people and families <laughs> i think um this program will probably so if we take it back to next a level to the abstract if you like i think this program really aims to empower women to start the conversation about what does natural resource management look like on farm? And many of the women I speak to really don't see it as even being in their remit. You know, they're busy with kids and work and often the farm to them has a dormitory function, you know. You come home, you live and you sleep and you eat there and occasionally, if you're lucky, you get time to clean it. So we're really helping, hoping to develop some landscape literacy in that working with women to really see their landscape with different eyes and envision it differently and see out look out of the farmyard fence and you know start to engage in conversations about things like well you know that patch has been a saline patch for a long time is there something we can do with it or water lies in that corner all winter or there's an side in that paddock or in that grazing or, you know, shade or shelter or even something as simple as a tiny bird habitat that you can develop with your with your kids, you know, and that's a seven-metre diameter bird circle or bird hotel as we call them, which is 
you know, a fantastic project to, to attract small bird life. Uh, you know, it might be locking off a dam. It's a really big challenge because there's always this, um, you know, there's always this tension between productivity and economics on farm and growing food and managing a healthy landscape at the same time. So it's really increasing women's understanding about implementing and leading programs that have, have win-win, um, win-win outcomes, outcomes for habitat, outcomes for the humans outcomes for the farm productivity. And Jem, what are some of the sort of, you know, you've lived in the Murrumbidgee for a long time now and you've seen the drought and you've seen the dust storms and the heat and and you've just had a beautiful season. What do you think might be the high order on-farm environmental management or improvement issues that you think people will really be able to grab hold of and and get running with? What's the state of play within the catchment in terms of fencing stock out of very important habitats and wetlands and waterways is that is that a is that going to be likely a big focus or is that pretty much being tackled already i think i can only speak anecdotally anecdotally on that and i don't have any data to hand with this a lot of excitement even in our part of the world which is probably mid to lower catchment there's a lot of excitement about the ideas around uh, natural sequence farming and protecting your waterways there's been quite a bit of funding around in terms of create creating um revegetating and planting off creek lines and shoring you know being careful around erosion and that kind of thing you know anyone who's lucky enough to have a creek line on their farm can can see it as a natural asset and really protect it there's been a lot of work i know in the upper catchment around Harden, Burua, Add along up there to really sort of manage gullies and uh, ensure that the the waterways are healthy and protected. So I'm what I'm hearing is lots of sort of positive stories, and I and I see good work. So I also see um, very degraded and eroded areas as well. But you know, hopefully this little project will lead to you know some more of that that style of work taking place. Yeah, and that's, that sounds great. And and sort of finding, <clears throat> not finding, but sort of seeing remnants of degraded bits of forest or bush or a, neglect, or a neglected fence line that isn't in the productive zone anyway. Pieces of land that aren't actively being farmed or grazed at the moment that um, can be a little precinct for, for shelter and land care plantings and um, bird habitats. And mental health. Just, you know, mental health and joy, a place to go to, which is a project uh, you can develop on farm and be be proud of and be excited by what the changes that you've caused. And bigger conversations to grow the snowball. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Gemma, before we sort of wrap up with just, uh, you know, perhaps you'd like to nominate a few call-outs or, you know, let people know how people in the catchment can, can get in touch with catchment keepers. Can you just uh, share with us what I just find such a beautiful project that you did on farm for a very special birthday that you had? Can you tell us about your forest and how you involve friends and family in basically creating this amazing on-farm little conservancy? Yeah. Well, I guess one of the challenges that faces us is that we are primarily a cropping organisation. So any natural resource work we do entails slicing off a percentage of land to do what we want to do. It's not, it's, you know, we sort of don't work it in with a rotational sense like uh, a grazing operation, plus we lower rainfall. 
So looked at areas of the farm where we really could set aside a good chunk, you know, sort of around 10 hectares more every year to re-establish what we aim to re-establish as an open box grassland, which is what would have been a, a fairly natural ecosystem here pre-colonisation, I'd say, probably still a created ecosystem in the sense of Indigenous management, but an open an open grey box woodland is what we aim to do. So right through the centre of the farm and we uh, we involve city mates and neighbours every winter in a weekend of sort of planting and care and conversations and bonfires and wine and food um, in order to achieve that. In an ongoing sense, what we do now is that commitment to tree and forb and grass planting is part of our annual work program now. It's, it's you know, it's of equal importance in the farming calendar as, as shearing or planting. It's just something that we do now. It's not just a one-off event. So, you know, my farm plan is covered with green texture and lines of waterways and runners is slightly more conservative than that but you know happy days we can meet somewhere in the middle as with all marital partnership mm. um so that's that's lovely and a really sort of joyful fun uh weekend and you know city mates are very constantly checking in on how their forest is going how's it going and making sure i'm watering and what new birds are arriving and happy to say I've got plenty of brown snakes in there at the moment because they all seem to think it's a nice little place to live. Well you've also the forest is also located what sort of connects the dams in your farm doesn't it so it's, mm. it's sort of recreated it's got this uh, it's got but you know those those features coming together for plants and animals. Jam thank you for um, sharing with me and you know chatting. Oh it's a pleasure thanks for having me. Now tell me how do people find out more about or get in touch with you about catchment keepers and how can they join the group and 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 know what's coming up yes we have a facebook group called catchment keepers and we have our uh, regional coordinator nicole ma who's amazing young lady is pulling the whole program together so effectively any woman on farm between the ACT or in the Murrumbidgee catchment ACT, Harden, Young, Holbrook, Wagga Wagga, Lockhart, Narandra, Griffith, um, Hay, well outsiders are welcome to join as well but probably won't get as much from it, are very welcome to join that Facebook group even as a passive member but hopefully as an active member who comes along to one of our workshops Fantastic. And when, just finally, when do you think the, the first workshop might kick off? I know it's a bit of a moving feast with COVID, but do you have a bit of an indic indicative date? Yes, the workshops will probably commence in May or June this year and we've got through till uh, early autumn next year to complete them. So, Wonderful. Gemma, thank you so much for speaking with me. I should just tell you all that Gemma is the chairperson of Foodswell and she is a constant source of inspiration uh, and, and delight. So thank you <laughs> and, and keeps me on my toes. Thank you, Gemma. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Anthea. Lovely to talk to today. Thanks for listening. To listen to more episodes of Nourishing Matters to Chew On and Books and Bites, head to Foodswell's podcast page at foodswell.org.au backslash nourishing or you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google 
or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch via Instagram at Nourishing Matters or Foodswell Australia. As this is a new podcast, we'd really value your support. So please give us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app so other people can find us too. Nourishing Matters to Chew On is proud to be on the Climactic Network of Podcasts and part of a collective of podcasters dedicated to inspiring positive action around climate change. Check out the other great podcasts on the Climactic Network at www.climactic.fm.